Well, I'm very excited to, to be introducing Cynthia Bardeen to you tonight. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a homecoming. Come on, come on. <laughs> I'm crying from worship. Now I'm going to probably cry again. So, Ugh. Love this gal. I came to know Cynthia when... Getting all choked up. (laughs) I was a young woman in the Lord, a young mom, and started coming to um, Bible study. For all you young moms that are out there that have been coming to the the young moms Bible study, people are waving at you. This is awesome. (laughs) Um, Cynthia was one of our uh, teachers and ministry leaders. Her and Debbie Bryson and Cheryl and Denise all laying those foundations in all our lives and um, gifted in teaching the Word of God, um, changed my life, impacted me, but also just the example of her life. And I know all of you that know her that are in this room would testify that, just that yielded life, that yielding to the Spirit to love others, to serve others. She's been doing it for 27 years, just giving her life over to let the, the Lord use as he wants. She is the women's ministry coordinator at North Coast Calvary in Carlsbad. And uh, she's been married to Randy, her love, for 41 years. Isn't that awesome? It's wonderful. We're friends. Our husbands have surfed together, snaked waves from each other a few times. They would never admit that, but it's true. Our families have been friends. She has three adult children and three grandchildren who call her happy. Isn't that sweet? I love that. So many of you here in this room have been um, had your life affected and changed by her. And tonight... If you're just getting to know her, you're going to have your life changed, too. So she comes to bring us a message from the heart of the Lord as she's been praying and waiting on the Lord the last couple of weeks. He has something to say to all of us. Please welcome Cynthia. Well, one of the things I learned when I was beginning to teach was that you're never supposed to get up and waste your time by saying, I'm so happy that I've been... Chosen to be here, but I have to say it. I'm so excited to be here and to see all of you, and it's just been um, awesome to see all your faces, and I haven't even seen all of them yet. So um, I love seeing um, you young women who were so young when I was here, and you're now married and have children. Um, three, four, five, six children, (laughs) and it's just awesome, and it's just a a wonderful thing to uh, to just, you know, to see where you're at in life, in this season of life, so thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So, and there's nothing sweeter than being able to share a Christmas message, because this is such a season when, um, when we see before us the manger scenes and the Christmas carols and, and we, um, we get um, aware, uh, much more aware. So it's an awesome opportunity for you to bring family and friends and to just kind of get back on foundation base with um, what it is that we're celebrating and why we're celebrating it. I love the theme of joy to the world, the Lord has come. And um, I use that to springboard. And before I get started, I want to pray really fast. 
Lord, I just thank you for bringing me to this place tonight, Lord. I thank you for all these beautiful faces in front of me. Some I've met and known for years, and some I've never met before, Lord, and yet you've brought them here tonight. I ask for you to give me clarity of thought and for you to go before me and help me just to share the things that you want me to share tonight, Lord. I give it to you, and I pray for um, open ears and hearts and eyes, Lord, and just for you to move among us and commit it now to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, I was preparing and I got really interested in the theme, which is an age-old hymn. In fact, it is from the 1600s. So isn't that interesting? It's uh, written by a man named Isaac Watts. So joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare a room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let Men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks and hills repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He rules the earth with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. And I... I was reading the lyrics of the song. I, I just loved focusing on this and read up on the author. And he was a young man who went to church with his father and complained all the time about the music. <laughs> I think that's really funny in the 1600s. He was really, you know, griping and complaining about, oh, they always have these. I don't mind if you guys turn. If you get kinked neck, you know, <laughs> if you want to turn around, feel free to turn around. Um, anyways, he, he was complaining to his father, and his father knew that he was a musician, so he said, why didn't you just write some new songs, you know, probably in our world it would be, why don't you just go home and write some new worship songs then, you know, and uh, he did, and he's an author of 600 hymns, and um, he he wrote them like every week, and, um, and he is also the author of, um, what is that, I love this song, when I Survey the Wondrous Cross. He's the same author of, of that song. And, um, and this song, Joy to the World, The Lord is Come, was an effort that he put forth to bridge Old Testament prophecy into New Testament fulfillment. So this song is based on Psalm 98. And it talks about, I'll read it later in the message, and you'll You'll catch the connection. But it was to bridge the prophecy of the coming king. And I, what I really wanted to focus on that is joy and also um, what it means to have the curse broken and to have the Savior come to break that curse that they were under in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, we see that Jesus fulfills and breaks the curse. But yet, we look around and we go, you know, joy to the world and look at our world. You know, and our, our world is so sad. I can hardly even listen to the news. You know, it's just so disturbing. And everything is upside down. What's wrong is right and what's right is wrong. And anybody who stands up to say that's wrong is, is a finger is pointed at them and they're accused for being something horrible. 
So it's really a hard thing. But there is a deeper work that was done in the coming of Jesus Christ to break that curse. And so that's kind of where I want to go tonight, and that's where we're headed. So where I'm going to begin is a story from the Old Testament that will bridge into the New Testament. And some of you will be familiar with it right away because you go to church here, and I just noticed that you're studying the book of Ruth (laughs) in the hallway. So I'm going to tell you this story. I'm going to totally break it down, not get into a lot of detail, because this really isn't a Bible study. It's really more of me um, sharing with you the Christmas message. So I'm using the message, you know, when I read, which is a storytelling Bible. So um, I would never study, do my Bible studies with this version, but it's very, very fun to read as a story. So if you don't recognize some of the verses, that's why. It's in the message, which is a total today's words of uh, translation. So a thousand years before Jesus was born, so a thousand years prior, there was a girl who lived in a foreign land. And she fell in love with a foreigner to her. And he wasn't from, um, from her place. And she married him. And so did another one of the girls that lived in that land. And they married into this family of faith. This family was Jewish. And, um, and so in that marriage, she had great anticipation of a future. She had dreams like any girl does when they fall in love and they want to get married and they get married and they think about what life is going to be like and they think about what their future is going to look like and, um, and it, it was what we all do. And, um, but her husband became very sick and died and she was a very young widow and she had no children and then her husband's brother got sick and died. It didn't help that their names were puny and sickly, but but, I mean, in translation, that really was their names, puny and sickly, you know? So anyways, (laughs) this could be a screen, right? It has been a movie, but anyways, so they married and then, and the father-in-law passed away as well. So now this wonderful family of faith and that, that shared their faith with these two girls in Moab, um, there's just the women left, and they're all widows. And there's no provision for them. And it was a time of great starvation, and, and um, they, this family of faith had left their home looking for uh, provision for their family because where they came from, was, was, uh, there was no work there. <laughs> It was drying up, and their own property had gone into back taxes, more or less. So uh, the mother-in-law decides to go home, and she's um, very sad. And she wants to leave the girls, because they're so young, there, so that they can have a, begin a new life. But Ruth had met God She had been raised in a pagan place, and in this relationship, marrying this Jewish man, she had come to know who God was. And she she wasn't ready to stay in in her home, but she wanted to leave it all and follow her mother-in-law to her home. 
So that's the choice that Ruth makes as she, you know, and I think of it in today's world, which, you know, they're not really any different. They're just like you are today. They have the same, same hopes and the same hurts, the same fears. You know, all, it's very similar. There isn't a lot of, of change. And so here this um, uh, girl leaves her hometown with um, Naomi with the not, not very much of a life to look forward to, really not knowing what she has ahead of her, but willing to leave it all behind because she has fallen in love with God and she doesn't want to leave that behind as well by staying in Moab and letting her mother-in-law, the only mentor and influence she had of what, um, what it is to know God. So she follows her back to Bethlehem. Now this is a thousand years before Christ is born. Follows her to this little town of Bethlehem, which is where this family is from. And, um, and there in Bethlehem, Ruth goes to the field to gather food that's left for those who are in poverty and have no food. So it was like their welfare system. So she gleans the field. That's where the term gleaning comes from. So she gleans the field and she brings home this food to her mother-in-law. And in that process, in that field, she meets a man and finds out and he takes a liking to her and blesses her with a lot of leftover grain and has his people leave extra grain there for her to pick up. And, um, and she goes home and tells her mother-in-law about this meeting. And the mother-in-law immediately knows what field it is she's gleaning because he is a relative. Now, in this custom, there is uh, her property is in back taxes. It's, it is, um, like, ransomed off. And, um, and so um, she, the mother-in-law, when they left, they left everything that went into back taxes and they're going to lose it. But there is a provision that if you have a close relative that comes in, they can redeem the land and buy it back. They have to be able, they have to be qualified as a relative, and they have to be willing. So um, Boaz is now courting her daughter-in-law, and Naomi immediately sees that this can be the kinsman redeemer for her and for Ruth, for their family name, their family property, and, um, and we are introduced, you and I, to the kinsman redeemer picture in the book of Ruth. And this is a thousand years before Jesus comes. So I'm going to take you now and I'm going to bridge you over into New Testament. And we're going to look at Luke. And we're going to look at chapter 1. And I'm just going to read it quickly. It's very um, an easy read. And we're going to look um, at when... um, when Elizabeth is with child and the angel now comes, you know, as I was writing this, I felt like I was writing the housewives of Bethlehem. Because it, was, it was like, you know, first it was Ruth, then it's Elizabeth, and now it's Mary, and they're all from Bethlehem. So, anyways, so, um, 
I, um, so Elizabeth in um, Luke, let me get to Luke 1.13. The angel assured Zechariah is married to Elizabeth, and he's, he is um, revealing himself, Gabriel, to Zechariah. And he says, look, Zechariah, I know you're really old, and you've never had children. And it was their dream to have children, and, and they had no children. And, um, and now she was beyond uh, even being able to have children. And so Elizabeth is older. Ruth's dreams were to marry into this godly family, have children, have a family in Moab, and then she ended up in Bethlehem in another country following her mother-in-law as a widow, and she falls in love with Boaz, who is the kinsman redeemer, and in Ruth's story, her expectations were not met in her first marriage. But God had a plan, and it was much bigger than what Ruth could ever have imagined. And you know, sometimes we don't accept that. Immediately, when something bad happens in our lives and our our expectations are not met, we immediately go to disappointment. And we go to um, a place of um, bitterness. For, you know, we're angry. Who are we angry at? It's not going the way we thought it was going to go, and it takes root in our lives. But how much better to realize that our expectancies can be let go of, our hands can be opened, and we can permit God and place our hope in God and in his plan. And in the story of Ruth, we see an amazing, beautiful picture that she never would have imagined would have happened. And in that union between her and Boaz, she had a son, and, and she um, named the son Obed, and Obed had a son named Jesse, and Jesse had a son named David. And now this is about 750 years before Christ. So David is born, and his great-grandparents are Ruth and Boaz. You know? And that's such an amazing bloodline. You know, where Ruth the Moabitess, who was not born in the faith, becomes the great-grandmother to David, which places her where? In the bloodline of Jesus Christ, in the Messiah. So now we jump over into the New Testament, the bridge, and we see Elizabeth and the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah and says, you're going to have a son in your old age. And Zechariah goes, really? And he, he says, yeah. You are. And he goes, you know, he didn't really believe him. And so um, Zechariah could not speak until after his baby was born. And sure enough, his wife became pregnant. And when she was six months pregnant, Mary, her cousin, was in Bethlehem. And, and the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary in Luke chapter uh, 1. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to the Galilean village of Nazareth to a virgin engaged to be married, not married, engaged to be married, to a man descended from David, and his name was Joseph, and the virgin's name was Mary. And upon entering, Gabriel greeted her and said, good morning. (laughs) You're beautiful with God's beauty, beautiful inside and out. God be with you. And she was thoroughly shaken and, and uh, wondering what was behind a greeting like that. But the, the angel 
So I think it's interesting there that, that she was, it doesn't say she was shaken, that she was looking at an angel. She was befuddled with what he had said to her, that she was beautiful inside and out. But the angel assured her, Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you because you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his name is going to be Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will rule Jacob's house forever, no end, ever, to his kingdom. That includes us, because it's forever. No end ever to his kingdom. So here we, we enter into this story. And Mary said to the angel, but how is that going to happen? Because I've never slept with a man. And the angel said, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and the power of the highest hover over you. And therefore, the child that you bring forth will be called Holy Son of God. And I thought about this, and I was thinking about how, I wonder what Mary dreamed about, because she was engaged to Joseph, and she was dreaming about what her expectancies, what her life was going to hold for her. If she had a journal, I wonder what she wrote in her journal. Oh, I'm engaged to Joseph. We're, our wedding date is set. We're going to get married next year. The plans have begun. And then... An angel appeared to me last night and said that I was going to have a baby. And I, I don't know how that's going to happen, you know. And then it's, I'm pregnant. I am going to have a baby. You know, I mean, I just wonder, don't you just think about that? I mean, her, really, and she was very young, you know. So, But her expectations in that place um, flipped. And... And she had to let go of them. Because in her culture, for her to be not married and be pregnant meant shunning. It meant she could be stoned. Would Joseph believe her? Would her mother and father believe her? Would her friends still talk to her and want to be around her? Would, um, I mean, these are huge things. This wasn't anything she dreamed of, you know. And so, but the angel goes on and speaks to her and says, and did you know, this is as the angel, that your cousin Elizabeth conceived a son as old as she is? (laughs) She was probably my age. Anyways, (laughs) everyone called her barren, and here she is six months pregnant. Nothing you see is impossible with God. And, and so Elizabeth got pregnant, married to Zechariah, and they had a child. And in saying this, he's saying, you are going to have a child. Don't put God in the box of you have to understand what's happening. Don't we do that? It's like our natural go-to place. Hey, if I can't figure it out, I can't believe it. You know, if I can't, you know, if I can't process in my very little pea brain, you know, how it's all going to work out, then I can't, it, it, it can't happen. It, it's like, you know, it doesn't make any sense. Why would it happen in that way? Why would it? So it's, it's interesting that we see that importance that she realizes with God, nothing is impossible, Mary. You know, be confident in this. 
And, um, and so I related with letting go of expectations. You know, so often in life we feel, and we see it with Ruth, it changed for even the better. With Elizabeth in a very old age, an impossible thing happened. And with Mary, who at a very young age, you know, had something that came into her world and turned it upside down and turned everybody else's on the face of the earth world upside down. You know, everything changed with that birth. So she decides to go and see Elizabeth. And her first response back was, I see it. I accept it. You know, let it be unto me, as you say. She, she was very receptive. And it shows a, an immediate trust and a faith that she had. You know, and, and so often those things hit us. And we, we have to be ready to respond, to ponder it, to think about it, and to respond in the right way, to open our hands, to allow God to, um, to make the changes that he sees fit. I just was looking for things that I relate to, that I, I need to have in my life, that I know that you need to have in your life. You know, that we, our expectations just are not always met. Our dreams when we were little, let me ask, how many of you do have fulfilled the dream that you had when you were a little girl? You know, how many of you, you know, okay, then let me ask this, how many of you have it? <laughs> it's just, you know, we dream big, and it, it, but we have to learn that we can trust God. And that is what we see with Mary is she had a relationship with God where she immediately went to, I trust you. This is a big, huge thing, but I, I trust you, Lord. And so she didn't waste a minute, and she got up and traveled to town in Judah, in the hill country, and went straight to Zechariah's house, and she greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaped. So all Mary said was, Hi, Elizabeth. I came to, to visit with you, and Elizabeth's baby leaped. And in the, new, in, in the NIV, it says it leaped for joy. And I, I was just, I focused on that in the first part of this message when I was preparing, that joy was knowledge that the Messiah was coming, that the Messiah was breaking the curse was, and so for some of you, you know, you grasp what that means. But some of you don't grasp what that means. And there's a, the death, the final death, you know, was a part of the curse. You know, so to um, have the Messiah come, the Savior come, meant that he was going to bring in a new kingdom, but here again, as we move on in studying uh, Luke and the other Gospels, they weren't ready for that kind of kingdom because they couldn't filter it through. It was only another kind of kingdom that they were looking for. And, um, and sometimes that's what we do. Like we say, joy to the world. Where's the joy? You know, we don't see beyond that God is at work in the hearts of people. 
and in the hearts of man. And we don't have um, eyes that grasp the breaking of the curse that comes with bending the knee and bowing the head. And, and there the spirit comes alive. We weren't made to die. We were made to live. I've said that before. I know I've said it to, to you. You know, that it, it doesn't matter how sick our parents are and how I, I, with both my parents, came to the place where I prayed, Lord, just take them. Don't let them suffer any longer. Just take them. But then when he did, it was a shock. It was a shock. It was like, I can't believe they're dead. You know, it doesn't sit right with me. It just doesn't feel right. You know, the separation. You know, when, um, when Elizabeth and Mary met, I think of that picture, and I just saw, and I think it was a video of Evan Whitcomb's, I saw yesterday, maybe, that had the fingers. Um, it had the, the I, it's a famous painting with the two fingers. You know, you all know which one I'm talking about. And there's this gap. And it's like, to me, that speaks volumes, that picture, because God's longing is to have fellowship with us, is to know us and for us to know him. He longed for that. And when he came as perfect through the, through a virgin birth, you know, which is what had to be, it couldn't be uh, a fathered by a, a human, but it was God's son that was perfect that had to come to be the redeemer, qualified. You know, that was, when those fingers are this far apart, that was like, they're coming closer. You know, the curse is cracking you know, with Jesus coming to break that curse and the baby in Elizabeth's womb recognized that and leaped for joy because it meant the Messiah was going to be born and break that curse that we have on the earth. So I, I really felt like... Um, John's just getting a whole picture of then John the Baptist. And, and a lot of you know that name, John the Baptist. Well, what was John the Baptist's role? He was the baby in Elizabeth. He was like the second cousin of Jesus. And he was just six months older than him, you know, and, or, you know, eight months older. And he heralded the need for repentance. He pointed out that they had to repent from their wrongdoing and bow their knee to the Messiah. And he never claimed, I'm not the Messiah. I, I will tell you when I know him. And he, he had no idea that it was his cousin until he saw him as a man. And then he recognized him. That's the one you want to follow. That's the one who is the Savior and the Messiah. I'm just the voice out here telling you you need to repent, that you need to be aware of your sin, that you need to be aware of where you fall short. And ladies, we all fall short. We all do. There's not one of us in this room, no matter how long you can say you've been a Christian, where you can say, I'm sinless. It doesn't happen. So your sin separates you from God. 
and the sacrifice that came through the birth of Jesus Christ, him being the kinsman redeemer, is what gives us new life. Yeah, it's not something we can easily filter. We have to be aware of the spiritual, you know, our spirit life that's dead. So when we say born again, you know, Christianese can be um, dismissed so quickly. You know, people call us, you know, born againers or, you know, whatever they call us. I, I just want to say it's just coming alive in the spirit. What was dead is now alive because he's breathed life into me. Because his spirit lives within me. And that's what the birth of Jesus Christ did. That's what the kinsman redeemer did. He bought us back. He connected us to God so that we could have relationship with God and personal relationship. Another Christianese word, right? But what it means is he's my friend. He's my father. He's my counselor. He's the one who knows me and loves me. It's him that I, I fellowship with and I, I spend time with that knows my wrong, that brings me to a place of, of uh, humility, that brings me to a place of, of needing to confess and ask him for forgiveness. His hand is upon me. And it all happened when I bowed my knee and turned and asked him to come into my life. And I, I became born again, that word. I became one with new life. The spirit came alive, and all of a sudden I understood. My understanding expanded. I had glasses on. <laughs> I could see better. You know, everything came into focus. And I understood now my need for a savior. I understood now that breaking of the curse and the requirement of being ransomed back, redeemed back, bought back, I understood it all of a sudden. It became a truth in my life and one that I, I never, ever want to lose. So I, I feel like this message is so important at Christmas time. I, I don't want to ever be standing in front of you and talking about um, Christmas presents. You know, I want to just talk to you about what this means. This is huge. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. He's come to break the curse, to uh, give us strength, to give us life, to become to us what we need to survive now, but to meet him face to face when we die. I know for sure that I'm going to see him face to face. You know, I have that confidence. It's not based on my works. If it was based on my works, I'm not going. You know, it's simple as that. I'm not going and I'm not going to see you there either. <laughs> it's just, if we're basing it on what we do, it falls short. It's in the work that he did for us. So Jesus that was born to Mary didn't stay a baby. It's not just the baby Jesus in the manger that we celebrate with this birth. It's the work he did for us on the cross. 
And one of the best things I can tell you is to open up Luke, open up the book of John, open up and look at his daily life. It wasn't all about going to temple. <laughs> it wasn't all about going to church. And it, it, he went out into the highways and the byways. He went and he touched the lepers who were unclean and dirty. You know, he went out and he, he met the women, the women who were in this class where they had no say-so. They were just servants. And he raised them to an important level in his ministry. He met them there. He met the women at the well who had, like, what, six, seven husbands. But they weren't really her husbands. They were just men that she had been with. And he met her there. And he gave her living water. I always say, agua viva. <laughs> he gave agua viva. So it's, it's an amazing herald that we sing at Christmas time. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. That um, Psalm 98 says, He rolled up his sleeves and he set things right. God made history with salvation. He showed the world what he could do. He remembered to love us. A bonus. A bonus to his dear family Israel. Indefatigable love. I don't know what that means. But that's what it says. The whole earth comes to attention. Look, God's work of salvation. Shout your praises to God, everybody. Let loose and sing. Strike up the band. Round up an orchestra to play for God. Add on a hundred voice choir. Feature trumpets and big trombones. Fill the air with praises to the King, God. A tribute to God when he comes, when he comes to set the earth right. He'll straighten out the whole world. He'll put the whole world right and everyone in it. And that's the psalm, Joy to the World, the Lord is Come. That was the bridge to the messianic verses in Luke and in John and the Old Testament. And that psalm was written 750 years before the Messiah came. They were looking for a Messiah. Those young girls got married, and the blessing of their marriage was, I hope you become the parents of the Messiah. They never thought, it, it can't go that way. The Messiah can't go that way. They, of course, were looking for a Messiah here, kind of like us when we say, where's the joy? Where is it? It's, it's in my heart. It's in the peace that I have in relationship with my God. That's where it's at. It's in you. It's in you. It's in your heart. It's there that, that this joy resides. And it makes a difference in the world that we live in because we become compassionate people. We become forgiving people. We become people that know grace. Because that's what he gave to us. So it's a, an amazing, amazing joy and passion to be able to share joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let's pray. 
Lord, we just, uh, I thank you, Father. I thank you for your truth, for your word, for the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. I ask that you would move upon us in this place, Lord, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to each heart here. Believers, skeptics, those who just don't know. Lord, you touched so many lives in so many different places in life. And in my life, I was just 17, and you touched my heart, Lord, looking for a direction, looking for a course to walk in life. And you touched my life and gave me, gave me purpose and gave me hope and gave me a relationship. So I pray for each woman here, no matter what their age, no matter where they are, I pray that you would speak to their heart, Lord. There is no language necessary, no English, no Spanish, no Dutch, <laughs> no anything. It's just a language of the heart, Lord, for us to be able to come before you and to bow before you, Lord. So I pray that for each woman here, that they would survey it, that they would check their um, place that they're standing for hope, for joy, for salvation, for life after death. Stir them up, Lord, I pray. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And ladies, you know, one thing I want to say before I... I leave is I read this really neat quote from um, it was uh, quoting Dan Rather who is a famous um, uh, news person and he was interviewing Mother Teresa and he said so I hear that you pray all the time and she said I pray and he said what do you say when you pray and she was quiet. I listen, was her response. And he said, you know, being the um, person that he is, what does God say when you listen? And she said, he listens. And I think that really says a lot about our, the place where we find the Lord, the place where we can come. So I just pray that this Christmas season, wherever you're at, if you've walked with the Lord many years, or if and you, um, if you're new to the Lord, or if you don't know Him, I pray that you would just be stirred up to uh, survey where you're standing, to look at your expectancies and disappointments, and see if they've taken root. Uh, if you need to place your hope in God and open up your hands in a certain situation in your life, if you need to ask him to breathe into you and give you new life and to give you eyes that see and that understand who he is and grow in him. And if you find that, that, is, that he, that's where you need to be in this conversation you have with God with no words, then tell somebody. Tell a, a friend you know or your parent or someone that can walk with you in prayer and uh, grow with you. Don't just leave it alone because you need that accountability.
and you need to have a friend to encourage you in that journey. So even if it's tonight or if it's three weeks from now or a year from now, you tell somebody who knows the Lord so they can walk with you. So I just thank you for being here. I pray you all have a blessed Christmas and that when you sing joy to the Lord, joy to the world, the Lord has come, that have, you have a new understanding and passion for what it means, that it breaks the curse. And that's what Psalm 98 is it's written for. So with that, God bless you.